just outside the small rural Texas community of Newt early this morning. Officers there discovered what appeared to be a grisly work of art, the remains of a badly decomposed body wired to a large monument. A second countenance is rated It contains rumors, adult content, spoilers, and revenge. Listener discretion is Welcome back to the Kill the Dead podcast, episode Revenge. I'm Gray, he's Jay. Say what up, Jay. Hey, what's going on, people? So this week, we have a film that we kind of briefly touched on a couple episodes back. Uh, Jay and I were lucky enough to go to see an early premiere of Corlan Faget's newest or first feature film, Revenge which should be out in theaters right now, limited release, I believe. Jay, did you have uh, initial first impression upon uh, knowing of this film? This is one of those movies where you, you're hanging out on YouTube and you see a Red Band trailer and you immediately get excited. I didn't know anything uh, about the buildup to it. I just know I logged in one day and it was like right across my top banner because I like these type of, this, this genre. So I think YouTube, you know, kind of said, oh, okay, you know, recommend that you check this out. And yeah, as soon as I saw that Red Band trailer, man, I was hooked. And you and I started talking about it immediately. This is a subgenre of rape and revenge. Not that this film is overly graphic in that way. And I think a lot of that's due to the fact that it's a female director. Right. And that was like, the thing. What we happens about. has to happen. Okay. It has to happen. Yeah, no, exactly. And we was talking about, um, you know, in terms of, of horror, how this, how, how this um, categorizes. And I was thinking, well, you know, this would definitely be considered a uh, body horror and thriller because it does deal with uh, a lot of hardcore uh, invasion, bodily invasion, mutilation. It's got its share of gore and blood and guts. So, Coming from a female, folks, don't let that turn you off. She really brings the pain. And later on in the show, I'll let you know because I was lucky enough to uh, see her in person doing her Q&A because we're just fortunate like that here in Austin. And she did address what some of her uh, some of her um, uh, past films that kind of uh, was what I was gonna say like motivated her to make this movie. You know, so. Yeah, she she let us know what what some of her what some of the past movies that that gave her the eyes for this movie, and they were some good ones. And you could see a little bit of her influences uh, dealing with revenge. And you know, with that being said, I think that when it lends its uh, I don't know trope to the horror genre, it often gets construed as oh I don't want to see that. But you know, there are plenty of films that were more so mainstream that people love you know like the crow or uh red sonia wild things um i'm trying to think of something nocturnal animals which just came out last year which is a tom ford film you know these movies right. did well uh the girl with the dragon tattoo as well you know right right those and films a, did well they did, they did do well and uh yeah and it's it's one of those things where the the art I guess you could say the art of the film, the, the technicals of the film, raises it a, a bar above 
what the actual genre is. And I think for uh, this director, she did a great job. And this was her debut film, correct? Yeah, this is her first feature-length film. Uh, you know, oh, I, she, IMDb yeah, she, she will show great you where job. she worked on other shorts. Yeah, she but did yeah, a great job. I mean, I'm looking forward to whatever she does next. Agreed. I do think that the film, the way she put it together, is very well. Um, uh, not going to heart, but I do see where French directors, for some strange reason, they do not like putting their films into the horror section. You know, both you and I both quickly related to this film is reminiscent of High Tension, which is also not billed as a horror movie traditionally. But right. any person that loves a horror genre has definitely seen this film. Yeah, and again, it is all those subcategories of every genre. I mean, for horror, I, I think I remember Silence of the Lamb, for example, here in America was billed as a horror movie, and it's more of just a straightforward uh, psychological thriller more than anything with a few elements right. in it. But I think that's where it comes down to, like you mentioned before, is the gore. And oh, yeah. The movie doesn't spare it. So, basically, uh, this, is this a, film this is takes a very place. fun movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this film takes place in the desert. Uh, Matilda, Ingrid, uh, plays the character Jen, and then her counterpart, Richard, or Kevin Johansson's? Jansen's? Yeah, Kevin Jansen's. Uh, Is he French? I did not actually look that up. He hasn't done anything that I'm yeah, aware of in America. Yeah. Uh, Matilda Lutz, she was in the Ring remake, which, uh, you know, that film didn't do too well, and it's kind of beating a dead horse as far as I go. Everyone tries to reboot. Doesn't really work. She did Rings? But, yeah. Uh, I, just, I know she's hot. So, okay. <laughs> actually, update to the hotness. I saw on Instagram the other day, she's actually pregnant. So, uh, something else. Uh, yeah, it, that, that happens, yeah. You don't, you can't be that hot for too long and not have that happen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, you know, Matilda, if you're listening, congratulations on your hotness and your pregnancy. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> congratulations on being hot and, you're, you know, having your upcoming baby. So... <laughs> and congrats to the guy who was responsible for that. Good job, guy. True. Way to get one past the goalkeeper. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Um, so, yeah, the thing about this movie was uh, it, it has a cast of four. Yeah, that's it. And, uh, and like I've said before, and uh, many times I'll say again, I love isolation films. Um, this movie takes place in a desert. It's... From what we see, it's only accessible by helicopter, although there is a vehicle on the premises and it doesn't really show how the friends arrive. But at multiple times throughout the film, it's expressed, hey, we need the helicopter. So right. I feel like that's the main way in and out. And maybe that car was just airdropped or suspension of disbelief, you know, got there through ways of financial gain or whatever. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we, like you said, it, it's one of those things, like, they did show up with equipment, and I, I wherever it was, they they gave the appearance that they're in the middle of nowhere, like you said, and they're, you know, whatever's out there, it, you have the, you have the appearance that everything's set up and left there, like, airdrop, maybe, and you also had the impression, like, this is some kind of getaway destination, where you just want to, you know, go out, 
and do their hunting. So, I mean, for the main setup, it's four people. It's four characters. It's the uh, the protagonist, uh, which is Jen and her boyfriend. Well, actually, he's not her boyfriend. He was her lover, right? Yeah, it seems as though he throughout early in the film, he kind of throws out, I can help your career. Yeah. You know, like he's kind of dangling that in front of her. So I don't know if he perhaps is a Hollywood producer, some type of right. you know, sleazeball in a high position of authority. Right. kind of influencing Jen, but at the same time, she's this young energy. Nubile, yeah, nubile, energetic, something maybe waitress turned actress or something, you know. And, uh, yeah, so they both have something to gain from interacting with each other. But I also so, kind of like the fact that we don't even really know Jen. Like, there is very little character development as far as her character goes, but I think that that was a conscious choice by the director of this could be any woman. She doesn't yeah. need a backstory per se, because this happens all the time, unfortunately. I got the feeling that... Um... It was kind of a, it felt like a typical type of starlet, like an up-and-coming starlet setup where he's he's the money, you know, he's the hot mogul or whatever, he's the money, she's the starlet with promises of fame, you know, he's promising her, you know, stick with me, kid, I'll take you somewhere, casting couch type deal. In this case, the casting couch is his uh, secluded getaway. And he's also one of those rich bastards where, you know, they, him and his two hunting buddies, the other two guys that come in later, the antagonists, they kind of just show up to do their, you know, ritualistic hunting where they just go out in the middle of the desert and do this thing. At one point in the movie, it starts off where it's quickly established. He's the money. She's the kind of, uh, what do you want to call it? the starlet up and coming and it was that whole daddy type of baby girl type of setting because they show that he's actually married and so clearly this is his like little young mistress or whatever and so for there you get a good sense of a little bit of foreshadowing like I almost felt like alright she's not his main girl so she's kind of disposable <laughs> yeah and that, that picture at first, it's not really clear, but as you see the interactions between uh, when Stan and Dimitri eventually arrive as two friends, right? Um, you realize that, yeah, she is the apple of his attention, right? But it's nothing more than that. It's strictly physical entertainment. Not a single ounce of feeling is actually there for Jen. Exactly. And uh, the director, she actually showed that. She showed that in little subtleties. Like, for example, when they're laying in bed after having, like, a hot sex session, but then his phone goes off and he has to go take the call because why? It's his wife. Then you see Jane, you see her reaction to that, like that cold shoulder. She knows who's calling. Like, she knew what the deal was. Right. She's just trying to get what she can when she can but it's not that she's overly excited by her situation either. 
no, victim not, of circumstance. Yeah. I'm not sure if that's the right wording for this, but yeah, I mean, no, it, it, I think I understand what you mean. And um, it, the thing is, again, uh, the director uh, was a Coralie. She does a great, she does a great job of setting up that early tension. You know, right there and there, like there, there's, even though everything looks glossy and everyone's beautiful, you can you can feel this that little hint of coldness there, and then that um that actually segues that uneasiness that is built early, carries directly over to when and um his friends and Dimitri show up, because if you remember, they show up a day too early. Right. So it was never expected that they would be there. And maybe it was even, it doesn't even seem like it was a secret even. Like they're kind of there and, you know, this isn't the first time, but right when Stan sees Jen for the first time, you definitely pick up on the male gaze. He's oh, yeah. staring at her, studying her body. Rich has done it before this scene happens, but you're kind of just like, they're into each other, it's okay enters that picture and I want to say it's a good 30 45 seconds of just that back and forth looking at each other I don't know who you are but I'm enjoying what I'm looking at and then finally right. Dimitri pops into the scene right yeah it and kind of breaks it up it does and that was crazy because you get that feeling that like that predatory type of feeling because he's just like he's just gazing at her like she's meat you know I mean, true. She's yeah. got her little. She's got her little tank top on, or her bikini top. She got her little tiny shorts, and I mean, really, like he's basically eating her, feasting on her with his eyes, and you're just like, all right, this is probably oh, not going to. Yeah, like this is nothing good is going to come from this. <laughs> and yeah. even as an audience member, that's when you start to feel uncomfortable, because it's you're not even thinking. Oh, that's just a friend walking in on his buddy's wife changing or something. That's like, I see something and eventually I'm gonna get that. Right, right, like, right. There was no discrepancy about that. No, not even. And that was the whole thing. Um, so I think all of that plays into it because, again, everything's being established. Great job by the director establishing the the uh, the continuity between all of the characters. You know, again, you have the hotshot mogul. You have his little up-and-coming starlet casting couch setting. Then you have these two, like, veracious kind of um, hunters that show up. So they're they're already considered, like, predators because they are there for a hunting trip. So that kind of predator mentality with, uh, I don't know if it was Stan or Dimitri, the one that was staring her down, carries over. Stan. That was Stan. So, and this is the first day going into the next, the first night going to the next day. So that day, Richard, the main guy, not knowing they're going to show up, he's kind of feeling uneasy as well, because I think he expected her to fly in, have their fun, and then have her fly out, and then they show up. But now he has these two guys show up. She's walking around in her little tiny bikini. Richard, he's not sure how he feels about that. And that just sets the stage for what's about to happen. Yeah, I think that the over, I don't know, the over calm display that Richard kept is kind of what led to that uh, flirtatious exchange. Because 
the, the film goes on to where they're just like, fuck it, we're gonna drink, we're gonna have fun, and Jen is dancing, and Richard doesn't really feel like it, so uh, I believe Stan, um, Stan, Stan gets, you know, ends up dancing with her. Yeah. And for him, it's much more than a dance. He's engaging right. his prey, right? And you can kind of see that in his motions and his face, and she's just truly just enjoying the moment, you know, no different than any girl in a club dancing with anybody. Right, right. And, and I got to ask you this. You know, not a, go ahead, go ahead. Say what you're going to say now. I'm going to ask you this question. No. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say now, this is an important thing to understand after letting the movie sit, like just sit and marinate in your mind after all the madness. Stan was aware that Richard is married, correct? Right. So he knows that that was not his wife. So he just assumes it's just some, some skank just hanging out with them. Right, a toy. Yeah, like, okay. Was no, yeah. That's what I was saying. There's no qualms about it. Okay. He's like, I want to play with this too. There you go. And, you know, just to say, folks, not to say, well, that's why this happened. But in the mind of him, that's how he saw the situation. And, th and that leads to what took place next. Because after a night of, of her playfully dancing, everyone's drinking, having a good time by, by a fire pit, and her grinding all over Stan, and just really eye-fucking him and flirting with him, as young girls will do. Everyone's just having a good time. And at one point, Richard's like, all right, you know, fun's over. And he just kind of scoops her up playfully, takes her to their room to be together and be alone. But Stan still gives that lingering look. And you're just like, what the hell, dude? Like, And you just kind of feel like this isn't going to be good. No, his leering continues throughout the whole process, which, you know, without developing the scene too much, obviously the atrocity happens. He sequesters Jen on her own and let's just say pursues her. <laughs> Un un unwillingly. Yeah, that's putting her. it nicely. <laughs> yeah. In no, which you um... do have this you have this awkward scene where there's a glimpse of hope when Dimitri walks in on them and oh, they all wow. stop and it was yeah. an interesting directorial choice because you have this tight zoom in of Dimitri eating and this over exaggerated sound effect to correlate with it of just yeah. how gross and disgusting this guy is yeah and it's yeah God, that was great. of comic relief even though that's weird to say in a scene like this but it's maybe to lighten the mood of this scene could have been portrayed a little bit worse well you know what and, and trust me folks this is not a good scene we're about to get into but you know what that scene reminded me of when when it showed Dimitri munching into like that just tearing at the flesh and the meat of the food it reminded mm -hmm. me of the scene from um, Quentin Tarantino um what was the uh, Grindhouse movie he did? What was that called with Stuntman Mike? What was that called? Uh, uh, not Planet Terror, but... Um... I know, right? Like, between the two of us, we can't figure it out, right? But it was it was that whole scene where... Um, the Grindhouse movie, where they show Stuntman Mike, which was filmed here in Austin, by the way, right down the street off of Congress or, or North, uh, North Lamar, I think it was. But... That scene where he's just sitting there, just tearing, tearing into those uh, like tacos or tortillas, whatever. And, and Tarantino yes. did that complete 
close-up of over-exaggerated chewing just to give it the, the sense of how, you know, disgusting but non-giving-a-fuck this guy was. And I was like, that has to be an, an exact homage to that scene. It had to be. Yeah, the death proof is... I didn't death proof. You. Yeah, it was death proof, uh, yeah. That scene of Kurt Russell... And was it at the Texas Chili Parlor? I, I want to say it was there. I, I, I think was it was, was yeah. Yeah. So I, I know exactly what you're talking about. And as you well informed me, that she is a fan of Tarantino. And aspects of this film was in reference to him. In particular, she's a fan of Kill Bill, which is another revenge film. Surprise, surprise. They did commercially very well. Still waiting on part three. You know, Quentin, if you ever want to make that happen, I think everyone's old enough to finish this trilogy. Throughout cinematic history, I guess, there are plenty of examples of films that address this issue. You know, it's a part of society. It is a subgenre. It happens. But I think that that part of this film is very little. It's kind of like the catalyst. Most rape revenge films have three acts. There is the introduction of the female character and her accuser, abuser, or torturer, whoever leaves her for dead. Then, for whatever reason, suspension of disbelief, the character survives. Part three, the character rehabilitates and somewhere, somehow, gets revenge. It's pretty yeah. much the formula of how these always work. And it, it you know, it was a little, it's a bit formulaic, and at the same time, you know, this director does a great job of setup, uh, you know, getting the characters, you, you know, just enough of the characters to know what their backgrounds are and, you know, you know, if they're disgusting or not. Um, in this case, you know, Stan totally misreads the situation to say the least. And as Richard goes off to do a quick little morning mission, that little bit of window, uh, Stan completely takes advantage of the situation and makes a move on Jen. Jen rebuffs. But Stan's not hearing it. And now this is where you find out what kind of character this guy is because it, he gets really disgusting really quickly. And it's that whole rapist mentality that I cannot say that I'm familiar with. But, you know, the director, as I'm watching the movie, I'm just thinking, I'm like, wow, this, this must really hit the nail on the head because he becomes very... He gets into that whole victim-blaming mode where he's all like, Oh, you definitely came on to me last night. You definitely wanted to have sex with me. Now you're telling me you don't want to have sex with me. He's like, well, guess what? I want to have sex with you, so we're going to have sex. And it just gets really dark and really disgusting really quickly. And yeah, from then, he just forces himself on her. On her. And like you said, there's that turning point in the film where Dimitri... You know, he, he comes in almost as a kind of affable, lovable, oversized comic relief. But the timing, you know, the timing of him and his absurdity and what's going on, that juxtaposition gives a startling scene of the reality of the situation. What did you think about that? Yeah, because he comes across as so, like... I happen to be here, but yet and still in no way does this bother me enough to do something. And that's the scary part of, where is this guy coming from? 
Like, this clearly doesn't look like the first time he's witnessed Stan doing something. And I, I believe at some point Stan says something to the effect of either get in or leave. Right, like, yeah, and that's a good point. I don't man. mind that's... sharing this, but it, I don't want you watching. Yeah, that's actually a good point because, you know, I, I, hadn't th I hadn't thought about them like they've done this before because, yeah, he says it so matter-of-factly. I was like, whoa, and he's just like, yeah, and now that you mention it, yeah, he just kind of nonchalantly, almost as he's just say, uh, no, not this time. I'm just not going to join this time. I'm just going to go out by the pool and hang out. And he just leaves Stan and just have his way with her. Yeah, it's like, I'm just going to go back and nurse this hangover, and it's no big deal for whatever. And uh, out of context, that sounds wrong. I'm not saying it's no big deal. I'm saying the character is saying right. no big deal. So, um, yeah, Richard returns, like, you know, just soon after that same day. He comes in, and, I mean, he finds out what happens. And that this is kind of a turning point in the movie. Wh whatever you felt about Richard before, it's going to go out the window. He's scum. Because he comes back, he realizes what happened, and what do they do? They try to, like, explain it away or, or pay her off, like a settlement, like an on-the-spot settlement. Yeah, there was no even admission of wrongdoing or guilt. It was like, fix this situation, and that's it. It was nothing more than taking care of whatever happened. He wasn't into details or even, like, explanations, really. Yeah, no, not even. He just kind of chastises them, like, bad Stan and bad Dimitri, you know, like, why, you know, why did you do that? Now we got to fix it. And it gives an indication of who he is in his profession. He's just the type of guy, as you can tell, he's the type of guy that bark orders. He expects people to do what he says. Like he actually barks orders at them and they kind of fall in line. And you can tell he's, a, you know, he's clearly has enough clout that he's used to throwing money at a situation to go away. His, 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 for lack of a better word, his girlfriend, lover, side piece, just got raped. And he's like, hey, I'll set you up. He was like, I'll ship you off to Canada and set you up for life. I'm like, what the heck? Yeah. Dude? Like, she she probably needs to go to a hospital. What are you talking about? Yeah, he just glanced over anything that could be wrong with her. What she needs. How can she feel better? No. It's just matter of fact, this is the way we're dealing with the situation. Are you in or out? Right, and clearly she doesn't take that deal. So what does she do? What does anybody would do in that situation? She tries to escape, you know, forgetting the fact they're in the middle of nowhere. She just takes off running out of just sheer terror of the absurdity of what the situation is. So yeah, she takes off running, God knows where, in the middle of the desert. The chase is on. They're they're you know they're running her down. She's barefoot, wasn't she? In her bikini. Yeah. Yeah. In a bikini and I believe a t-shirt. Yeah, and they, they end up chasing her to, of course, in the middle of the desert. Of course, there's a cliff, you know, Wile E. Coyote style. There's a cliff. And, you know, they get to the cliff and it's like, hey, don't, don't do it. Come back. We'll get this figured out. And no, instead, he shoves her off the cliff. Like, that's his, that was Richard's way of getting rid of his problem. Just, she's totally disposable. Shove her off the cliff. And this scene was one of the most jarring scenes of the whole movie one of many and it just it just shows you what kind of movie this is about to be when she falls off that cliff yeah i mean without 
you know, giving it away. Just if you if you are a fan of a very well-known scene in Cannibal Holocaust, you will appreciate what happens to Jen. Oh, I was just going to tell it. <laughs> well, I, I think that's one to... of the better parts of the film, so I didn't want to give it away as, oh, okay. like, this is what happened. Yeah, okay, well, cool. It's bloody disgusting. <laughs> and it's it's it was it looked too realistic. Like, it looked incredibly realistic. Yeah, there was a, in general, a lot of practical effects used, and they turned out very well. Uh, I guess we didn't directly address this, but the cinematography for this is very Max-esque. Yeah. You know, basically because I'm comparing desert scenes to desert scenes, but Jen is definitely wearing vibrant pink colors and right. Richard in the beginning is wearing vibrant blue. Or, or wait, it's more pastel really now that I think yeah. about it. Sorry folks, it's been a while. But no, the, the color whole... definition is definitely yeah. yeah, for sure. Or is defined, I'm sorry, uh, yeah. throughout the film. And it does change as the characters change, which the director obviously took special care to make sure that that happened. So as Jen goes through her accostment into her death, there's definitely a change that happens that moment she started running out the room. Yeah, the, uh, the color palette lended itself to the tone of the movie. And yeah, everything did start out real bright and colorful and, and, and you know, poppy. And, you know, just like kind of pop music and all, but as events unfolded, yeah, it, the tone changed, the desert backdrop became an actual character in the movie, the color of the landscape, all of that. And it's gonna be kind of hard to avoid what she went through because you got to remember, her accident actually plays a big part of <laughs> it, it, it is, there's some very dark comedy in what happened. So you're saying we're trying to avoid it, but you got to remember that key moment, it actually extends halfway through the movie because she had to deal with her injury. So how we're going to dance around that, we'll give it a try if you want. But it, it is a, just a touch of dark humor involved. And again, this deals with a lot of body horror and Jesus, this girl is tough as nails considering what she goes through. Right, and I think this is the part where it's, all right, it's obvious she comes to death, right? Or so we think. And when she has arisen from her so-called death is one, the mark of her final transformation starting and two leads to a couple of challenges throughout the film that kind of, I don't know, hinder her escape? I don't know if it's hindering, because that's not right, because at no point is she truly trying to escape, because she understands at this point there's no way out of here other than killing these people. Yeah, killing these bastards, exactly. So I mean, again... a cat and mouse game. It does. Um, yeah, cat and mouse. Her, her, her injuries are horrific. Well, the main one, to say the least. And, you know, it's, it's, it, it gets down to, you know, me versus these three bastards. And, you know, this whole, it, you know, it becomes one of those things where some you kind of expect it to be by the numbers. 
but I think the director really played with our expectations and different things kind of happen that gives a, a, a slight twist to how the events unfold with her exacting her revenge. Right. It's clever and inventive the way these things transpire. And you got to go into it with that sense of this is a movie and these things are taking place because it's in a movie. Done. If you go in there with the, that could never happen, this is realistic suspension of disbelief in general, right? Of course you're going to find flaws in it. But if you let the film take place as the director intended you to view it, it is an awesome story that's being told, unfolded no, before your eyes. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Um, you know, it could have just been something where she gets a shotgun and she just blows them all away. But instead, like you said, it becomes a cat and mouse. They're in the middle of the desert. It involves creeks, rivers, caverns. Uh, do we want to go into the whole the drug-induced aspect of it? Because that became a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, I guess we didn't exactly mention in the beginning when the, the helicopter... Yeah, the helicopter pilot gives them some peyote, and Jin uses that. Actually, I'll let you tell. <laughs> well, yeah, what happens is Richard comes back, and he's kind of, you know, just really casually, he's like, hey, babe, you know, I got a little something-something for later. He's like, why don't you go ahead and take care of this for me? So she's like, cool, and it's peyote, which, if you don't know, it's an extremely powerful hallucinogen. It's like uh, shrooms times five. And uh, it's what it's what like Native Americans would use to go into the spirit realm. Like you can chip on it for like days. So you know he tells her to go stash it somewhere. Where she stashes it in her locket around her chain on her neck. So even as she goes through her rape, her you know her unfortunate rape scenario, and then she escapes, and then she's supposedly left for dead in a very horrific fashion, folks. Like you just gotta see it to just wrap your mind around it she manages to get you know get up and get out and clinging just clinging to a fabric of life and at some point you know there's foreshadowing yes at some point that peyote plays a part in her becoming her transformation that you talked about into this kind of revenge just ready just total badass and yeah the peyote kicks in and that's when this movie, for lack of a better term, becomes fun. Yeah, once that moment happens, and you know, I'm sure I'm not the first person and I'm not inventive in this way, and it's derivative, I guess, if you will, that it's clearly a phoenix rising from the ashes. Yeah. Jen has gone from wearing these brighter colors to now it's it's just jet black hair with gunk and dirt and grime and her overall, I don't want to say clothing because she's barely got anything. It's just, it's black and turned with soot. It's where before she was this beautiful, bubbly character, blonde, uh, decked out mostly pink. Right. And now she's just this dark character. Which yeah, I thought man. was a beautiful transformation. Oh, it was great. As soon as it I saw was like it happening. Dark, yeah, it was like a dark phoenix rising type. Right. And then that's when, you know, the mood of the film is changing. 
you're rooting for Jen. You know that she is trying to write what was wrong to her. Yeah, and and the thing is, uh, you know, she she starts to dispatch these guys and her revenge, and and it's not. It, it, I think what I enjoyed about it, what I appreciated most, was she played it up as realistic as possible, even with the suspension of belief, considering the circumstances. It's not like, you know, she doesn't become this this girl where all of a sudden she's this master hunter, and she just transforms and just starts hunting them down, like Rambo style, like. All you know, all of her revenge tactics happen to be circumstantial. Like she's just picked, she's so pissed off. Plus the peyote, <laughs> like yeah. she's going off of pure adrenaline. Which, by the way, she's like she's dying the whole time. Like she's like death is like she's probably lost half the blood in her body. But just the the adrenaline and just a pissed off attitude is what she's running on. And so, yeah, like her little, uh, her get back streak is just, it just happens to be circumstantial how she starts taking these guys out. And then it gets to uh, a showdown of sorts between her and Stan. Like she really gets the best of Stan. Her, I wanna say her kill scene with Stan, spoiler alert, sorry guys people die is one of those things where I would love to reverse the order because when Richard dies and we'll get into that in just a second I feel like it's not so bad when he dies you know but Stan was the person that actually raped her like I felt that his scene should have been glorified and us as an audience get to enjoy watching him die for what he did. Right. Versus the way that, you know, and I, I I can't help but laugh, but when we get to the end of the film and she's, I'm using quotations, cornered Richard. Yeah. In a five minute chase scene in a circle. Oh Oh God. That that is one for the ages. Like, and you're like, why doesn't one of them? The whole time watching it, I'm like, why doesn't one of them just stop moving? And I Again, get it. You just, no, you can't. Because you're not it's, thinking clearly at that point. No, you're, like, you're not. Kill or be killed, and it's just like, oh, it's it's symbolism for something I can't think of. But the fact that we just keep going in a circle and a circle and a circle. And you, you know there has to be an end somewhere, but the end isn't clear. I mean, at that point, and talking about your decision to kill, that's actually a great way to look at it. Like, who should have died first, you know, ending it with Stan or ending it with Richard? One of the things that I noticed, and I know you caught this as well, uh, the director decided to show the, the, the true colors of Stan, which, when you think about it, I guess would be for any race, any rapist, Stan was a piece of shit. It did, like Stan was a wimp, you know, as he came across as this kind of tough guy um, predator. But when it was all said and done, he was actually like very pathetic. And the director, if you notice, changed his mood from the beginning to the to the middle part of the, the middle act 
where Richards, clearly the alpha male, he's calling the shots, and, and Stan was like, he turned out to be the weakest of the bunch. The guy that raped her, and it, it, it kind of gave an indication, you know, of how pathetic a guy, any type of guy who tries to impose himself physically on a woman is actually a weak man. And, it, and it, it, she did a good job of showing how really pathetic Stan was. Because when it came down to it, the showdown between those two, yeah, well, he was a seasoned hunter, but at the same time, it almost like the balance of power shifted where she was hunting him down and he was just like this whimpering, pathetic loser, you know? Like, did you pick up on that, like that, that tone change of, of Stan? Did you, did you catch that? Yeah, he definitely came off as a dominant force as in these are the things I want these are the things I'm going to have I'm taking them in order to have them and then when we have that scene where she's kind of got a one up on him and he's kind of like I can't do anything like he literally turns into a, a baby yeah and then you know like simpering wimp but even before that we'll come back to that but even before that if you remember when Rich is like, they're out like all night hunting her. Like who was out hunting and who was sitting in the truck because uh, sitting in the truck because of his incompetence? It was Stan. Like he turned out to be useless. Oh, you know what? That is a very good point. There is huh, I didn't even think about that, because he does cower and just stay in the vehicle. Right. While everyone else is out working. Right, yeah. So it was like this big bad guy. You know, it's 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 almost like a jungle scenario. Like if she's a if she's a small mammal and he's he would have been like a a hyena or something. Richard's the lion and Dimitri's like a jackal. Like that was the order, you know, like he's the smallest of the I guess the predator uh totem pole and yet, you know, in, in the presence of actually doing something he turned out to be a piece of shit. Like Richard didn't give him any regard whatsoever. And that, and, and that, when Jen makes her transformation to revenge mode, the the tone really shifts to where she's actually hunting Stan down. Now you don't sympathize with him at all, but you feel the pressure of him. Like, damn, like she's coming to get me. And he's doing everything he can to stay alive, but you know, like, he's gonna get his in the end. And that becomes a prolonged standoff. It's nothing, it's nothing clean where she just comes up to him and takes him out. Like, it's drawn out over a space of time. Yeah, um, that might be the one only issue I have with the film. I do feel at times the film felt long, but right when it's starting to feel too long, it does back it up with action. Which oh, yeah. may have been the, the, it may have been on purpose for obviously the whole chase. It's like you can't, it, you need moments leading up to it, building the tension, working on how it's going to play out, and then you get it. So it's, yes. a, it's a complaint, non complaint. Right, if, if right. That works. Yeah, it's, it's definitely there. There are some, uh, there are some pauses and moments where the director, you know, took time to go over certain details of the situation. 
But when there is violence, it's like an explosion of violence. And uh, there's even a drug-infused montage that goes down where you kind of lose sense of what's real and what's not. And folks, let me tell you, you're, you're going to absolutely love this director's and her choices. She's not afraid of blood. She's not afraid of blood. She's not afraid of gore. No, not at all. And one thing, and correct me if I'm wrong, you may have told me that uh, they actually ran out of fake blood on the set constantly because there's yeah. just so much gore going on. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I guess uh, with that being said, we can kind of bring it to the the major, the main showdown uh, between Jen and Richard, which, <laughs> like you said, it took place with the just going around and around in circles, and that was I, I've never seen anything like that in a movie. Right, it's it's the whole conveying the message of going crazy. <laughs> And you know you want to live. You don't know if you're going to get to live on either party's fault or not fault. But it's up in the air of who's going to walk out of that situation. And I'm trying to think about how to say this without giving it away. But going back to the gore factor, like right, there is so much blood in this scene <laughs> that it becomes impossible for the characters to even traverse the pathway right because there's so <laughs> yeah. much blood getting oh my in the way God. Yes. which i thought was awesome i just yes, ate that was. shit up oh man yeah that you know again going back to the color palette now just to give you a picture of this for anyone who hasn't seen it yet this was a beautiful uh, little retreat like you know the nice airy light colors, you know, nice modern furniture, all of that. And by the end of the movie, everything's just bathed in blood. Like, blood is just everywhere. It was insane how much blood they used. And it's not, you know, during the Q&A, this was addressed. This wasn't something where you can do multiple takes. It would have been impossible. There was no way. Uh, like you said, without giving away any of the finer details, what ends up happening is the hunter becomes the hunted, the predator becomes the prey, and this 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 palatial retreat is just set up in a way where you can just go around corners and just kind of get lost, like just go. <laughs> and, it, and again, there's a little bit of absurdity and dark humor where the adrenaline's pumping and there's just so much bloodletting. That's all you can say about it. There's just so much blood involved that the floors and the walls are just just washed in blood to the point where they can barely even run around. At one point, you're not sure who's chasing who. It's just madness. Yes. And then that's where you realize that even though the prey at the time wasn't clear, that they still had a hunting trip, right? Right. It's kind of like a, it's a scenario of the predator where the hunters become the hunted. Right. And vice versa, towards the end of the original predator. Uh, yeah. yeah. So that was a good twist. I, I enjoy, 
the homages to the genre itself. Uh, these are all the premises that have happened before in other great films, and they can still happen today in modern film. Yeah, without a doubt. She she actually alluded, well, no, she didn't allude to it. She said flat out, you know, one of the questions in her Q&A was what were some of her influences? I personally asked her, I said, you know, how do you think this stands among other classic French thrillers like High Tension? And I even mentioned uh, Martyrs, you know, like, do you, do you consider it horror or thriller in that vein? And she actually said that her major influences were like Rambo and um, Kill Bill 1 and 2 and Mad Max Fury Road. And you can definitely see where those influences played into, you know, some of her choices of, of cinematography and angles and, and story and tone. But with that being said, folks, this is clearly something of her own original creation. And it's definitely worth a watch. It's it's an amazing, impressive debut, all the way down to the incredibly absurd but just mind-blowing finale, which is a it was a great payoff to say the least. Yeah, I think all of her homages are rightfully so, and then that's exactly what they are. They're an homage. They're not anything more or less other than this needs to happen, or this happened, and I'm gonna show you what needed to happen in this film as its own entity. Yeah, man, absolutely. Uh, you know, it, it, was, <laughs> it was a hell of a movie to see visually. Uh, it definitely stands alone as, a, as another great, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, great rape revenge thriller. And yeah, for a debut, my goodness, she knocked it out the park. I highly, highly recommend it to go check out Revenge. Yeah, folks, if it is in your uh, area, definitely this is a film where I would agree to watch. I know that there was a small little, not small, but when we watched it, it says it's produced by Neon, but there was also Shudder exclusive written up there. Yeah. So it leads me to believe that either Shutter's breaking into the movie industry or at some point it's going to be available on Shutter. If not, I do definitely know it's on Amazon Prime right now. So oh, there oh, are a couple great. ways to check it out. I encourage everyone to do. This is definitely a must-see for me. Yeah, for sure. Uh, 91% on Rotten Tomatoes. I mean, highly recommended universal acclaim you know all the we always talk about for anyone listening uh in our previous podcast we always mention does the hype match meet or exceed the product and in this case the hype or whatever hype around this movie absolutely it absolutely lives up to it great directorial debut and i'm definitely looking forward to whatever she does in the future so with that being said, if we had to give it a rating of uh, one out of five stars, what would you give it? Uh, five. No question. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, you know, um, so revenge thrillers aren't really my thing, even though I've seen a few. I, I, I don't flock to see them. 
but I was, mm-hmm. like I said, I, I saw this Red Band trailer and it, I, I definitely want to check it out. I am a fan of French horror, mostly foreign horror and, and French type stuff. So I did, my curiosity got the, the better of me for this. So I did check it out. I was pleasantly surprised. Uh, I do have my favorites. I have like a pantheon of, you know, just all time thrillers. This is up there. It's not, it's not in that. For me, it wasn't as high as other ones, but it was a great start. So I'm definitely going to give it four out of five stars. I give it four stars, but that's a good thing. It does come recommended. Well, there you have it, folks. It's definitely a film that you should not miss for the 2018 season. Um, don't know why I just called it a season. <laughs> <laughs> it works. <laughs> this is the 2018 um, season of horror. <laughs> well, that, that is true. Um, I think right now the thing I'm most excited for and the next episode definitely is going to be on Hereditary. Oh my goodness, yes. Well now, that comes, we're going to go check that out, an early viewing, right? Yeah. Um, early-esque. Same week it's released, but right, right. You know, we'll be sure to have a show up just in time for you guys yeah. to make up educated decision yeah oh absolutely man that's yeah i'm super excited about that um i haven't been this exciting excited about horror movie in a long time so uh yeah i think i think we do have something else in before then though because we do have two weeks leading up to that so uh you know if you have any recommendations for what we can do in between time in the meantime i'm all for it yeah, well, I, I know that, and uh, get ready because you're about to find out too. <laughs> we are going to do a Fathers of Horror episode for Father's Day this year. Okay, awesome. One, one father from each decade, from the 50s up into the 2000s, that we think represents someone that encapsulated terror for that decade. So 50 years of fathers, we're going to single out a couple that we like. Sweet. And I tell you what, oh man, that's, that's such a great idea. Um, so let's go ahead and put a pin in that. Uh, I do want to, I think we should uh, cover one of my favorite recent zombie flicks, which was uh, Train, of, Train to Busan, which was phenomenal. Yeah, it is a good film. I recently told you I was watching it. I did finish it. Uh, I do think it should be covered. I'm not sure how many people have or have not seen it yet, but it's definitely something we'll we'll cover here, and you guys can hear what we think about it. Yeah, let's go ahead and do. Let's go ahead and do that. Uh, I think it it was on Netflix. It probably still is. That was something that. uh, Wow. Yeah. We. Let's go ahead and make that next week's episode. Uh, it carries a 95% rating on Rotten Tomatoes for anyone who cares. It carries a 7.5 on IMDb. Uh, it it carries high regard from me, Jay. So that that's all you need to know. It's one of the better zombie movies. And it's a Korean horror. I'm a huge fan of Korean horror. All right, folks. Well, that's it. We have quite a bit on our plate coming up. 
Uh, feel free to tweet at me if you have any suggestions for any future episodes at Gray himself. G-R-A-E-H-I-M-S-E-L-F. Uh, that's it, folks. Just give me the now right before you hit record. You already got the now. <laughs> well, if that's the case, then I agree with everything you just said. <laughs> Not even gonna lie, I said, sounded like you said you're a big fan of Korean horse. Yes, which you already know. <laughs>